I'm going to re- reintroduce for some of you and introduce for others of you uh, you to a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, it was interesting this morning as we were going through the Sunday school lesson, we were uh, we had a quote by him uh, first thing in the lesson this morning. Um, he was a German uh, pastor and theologian, and um, he was born February 4th, 1906, in Poland uh, to a very large family, uh, not as large as Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was the 18th child um, in that family, but uh, I think there were about 10 in Dietrich's family, and he was about in the middle, and he had a twin sister. Um, But he is most known for his book, The Cost of Discipleship. There's four or five books he wrote. Um, And in that book, he warns about the dangers of cheap grace. And um, he says cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, our world so much needs to hear that message again because we just want, you know, free grace and, and, and you end up with a religion that is just dry because it doesn't have Christ. There's, there's nothing in it. There's no responsibility. Just, just grace. And, uh, and so he, he wrote that book about that, and I, I want to talk to you a little bit about him. He was very passionate about children and youth, and started out um, um, with working as a youth pastor, and then um, also was pretty, pretty gifted at the piano, and did uh, some music ministry along with, with his ministry. Um, but his primary passion was preaching. And um, one among the places he pastored, his last church was in Berlin, on uh, Germany, and he was there when Hitler was elected in 1933. Two days later, Bonhoeffer, who was already on the radio giving addresses, preaching on the radio, uh, gave a, a radio address right after Hitler was elected, warning. Um, Germany about Hitler and the rise of Nazism and all of that. And right during the middle of a sentence, it was cut off and, and that was the end of that. And he was not on the radio anymore. Um, and But his preaching at his church began to change. And he began to talk more and more about the blood of the martyrs. And, and trying to prepare the German Christians for the fact that they may die for their faith, if they're going to really be true to their faith. And so he became known for standing right in Berlin as a pastor in the church there, uh, for standing against the Nazis, standing against Hitler's plan for euthanasia of all the elderly people who were not useful to him, uh, standing against Hitler's genocide of the Jews, and um, indeed quite a number of Dietrich's own siblings uh, gave their lives uh, in concentration camps and other things, fighting Hitler and, and fighting Nazism. Dietrich went to Cuba to visit a mentor in 1930. Um, and uh, so he was there, and he happened to be there on Christmas Sunday. 
And so he was preaching and he chose an interesting text. He preached from Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 48 through 52. Um, and that is the text where Moses goes and God shows him Canaan and all of that. And Moses goes up the mountain to die because God had told him you're going to die. You can't go into Canaan. And Moses had spent 40 years leading the Israelites to the place where he could lead them into Canaan. That was what life was about. And he gets right to the edge where the end of the 40 years of the wilderness and God takes him up on this mountain and says, up on this mountain you're going to die, but you can look at it. And, and that was his text for this Christmas sermon that he gave. And he says, if Moses died in the sight of, of the promise, so you and I need to know that we are going to have to die. I mean, for our sin. If, if God is so serious that he takes a man like Moses and will not let him go into the promised land because of one sin, God's pretty serious about our sin. He said, you just stop and think about that. Moses really messed up one time, his one sin. And because of that one sin, Moses does not get to go into the promised land. He dies on the mountain. He can see it, but he doesn't get to receive it. And he dies on the mountain for that sin. And he said, that is why Jesus came. That is why we have Advent. That is why we have Christmas. Because Jesus, you and I, there's no hope for us. <laughs> if Moses died on the mountain and couldn't go into the promised land because of his one sin, there isn't much hope for Adrian Timmons. There isn't much hope for you and I. That's why Jesus came. To bear our sin. That text stuck with Bonhoeffer the rest of his life. He frequently referred back to that in different passages of, of his sermons. And two weeks before his own death, he wrote a poem, a pretty lengthy poem that I won't give you this morning or recite for you, but a lengthy poem called The Death of Moses. And it was all about that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32. When he got back to Berlin, pastoring that church, the German churches were told that they needed to put a picture of Hitler on their altars. And that was a move towards trying to get them to accept Hitler as the head of the church. Bonhoeffer vehemently opposed that. He became, he finally decided that he was going to have to leave the German Lutheran churches over the, the issue because the German Lutherans were bowing and, and submitting to Hitler and all of that. And so he became the founding pastor of the Confessing Church in Germany. And that pretty much, by and large, was an underground church. Hitler rigged an election then following that um, in which the churches got to vote on whether he was the head of the church in Germany, all churches in Germany. And uh, in that election, 70% of German Christians voted that, yes, Hitler would be our head of the church. Bonhoeffer, that 
following Sunday, got up in his pulpit in Berlin, and he preached a message from Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Bonhoeffer went on to say, where is this eternal, this eternal church that Christ has built? And he says, that church is not built on Pharisees and Sadducees or on scribes. That church is not built on sacred places. That church is not built on human opinions. It's not built by earthly rulers. Bonhoeffer said the church is built on faith in Christ alone. Christ is the only head of the church. And he said Peter wasn't really anyone except for a man who believed in Jesus. And Bonhoeffer stood giving that sermon that day and he said, Christ alone is the head of the church. In response to that sermon, two men came in a black limousine, hauled Bonhoeffer off to prison on April 6th, 1943. He was not allowed to preach in prison, but he just kept doing it anyway by writing sermons and passing them out to all the prisoners. Um, and so that's how he continued preaching. He was eventually moved in 1945 to uh, Buchenwald concentration camp and then finally to Flossenburg concentration camp, both of those in Germany. The bombings became very intense. They could hear the American bombs getting closer and closer to the concentration camps. They knew the day of their deliverance was coming. They knew it was only a matter of time before the Americans would get there. But on April 9th, 1945, Dietrich, Dietrich got together and was able to huddle together with a few other prisoners and he started preaching again to them. And just as he was closing out his little sermon to that small group of other prisoners, he heard the words, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get yourself ready and come with us. And he knew instantly what that meant. As he left, he said to the other prisoners, This is the end, but for me, this is the beginning of life. And they stripped him naked in front of all the other people and hauled him out into the yard, marched him up to the gallows, and hung him. Two weeks later, the U.S. soldiers marched in, liberated that concentration camp. And like Moses, within sight of the promise, Dietrich died just before the others got to celebrate um, their release from the concentration camp. I share that story with you today because Dietrich Bonhoeffer never lost his love for Advent or his love for Christmas, even in prison and even in the concentration camps. He never lost in the midst of a waiting suffering, weary world. And I think he probably knew weariness in a way none of us <laughs> have known it. 
he never lost his love for Advent and his love for Christmas. The message I want to share with you today is simply this, in a nutshell. If you are in a waiting mode, a weary mode, a suffering mode, a wilderness mode, where life is not really what you thought it should be, God does not want you to miss him during this season. It's very easy for us as Americans to think that if life isn't going just like we want it to, that God has somehow forgotten about us. Or that God doesn't care about us. But the fact is, Jesus came to a world that was not a perfect world. It was not to a grand world that Jesus came. It was to a weary world, a waiting world, a wilderness world, a suffering world. He didn't come to a royal palace. He wasn't born in the holy city of Jerusalem. He wasn't born to prominent Pharisees or to the chief priests or to any of those people. He wasn't born to a king. Instead, he came to humble, poor peasants. So poor that when they took him to the temple, they couldn't even offer the, the normal sacrifice. He, they had to offer the sacrifice of two pigeons, which was allowed in the law for people who were just too poor. And so they offered that for him. He was born in a stable manger as Mary and Joseph had been turned away from the inn because it was full. He came to a nation that was weary of waiting for 400 years for the Messiah to come. And actually, they'd waited much longer than that. But for 400 years, there had been no prophet. There had been no fresh word of the Lord. And they had just been waiting and waiting and waiting as Jews for their Messiah to come. And they hadn't heard anything at all from God. It was a weary world waiting that Jesus came into. Remember Simeon? Simeon, the very old man who, in spite of his years and in spite of his age, he was still waiting. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting. Now, he wasn't 400 years old, but he was old. And his whole life, he'd been waiting. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, for that Messiah to come to Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And you remember how Jesus was introduced to the world? He was not introduced to the world like you and I would have introduced the Son of God. He was introduced to the world through John the Baptist. 
a man who was out in the wilderness. And quite frankly, if, if John the Baptist was alive today, we probably would consider him mentally deranged. We probably would think about locking him up. We certainly would not invite him to Johnson Corners Wesleyan Church. He would not fit. He was strange. He dressed weird. He ate weird. Locusts and wild honey. He lived out in the wilderness. He was a wild, woolly wilderness man. And God had Jesus, the Son of God, introduced to the world through this man, John the Baptist. (laughs) Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then Matthew 3, 3 uh, confirms that, that, yes, that is John the Baptist. This is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Why, why did God introduce Jesus to the world through a wilderness man? The wilderness reminds us of some things in the Old Testament, doesn't it? It reminds us of the Israelites complaining in the wilderness. They'd been there for 40 years. They remembered the garlics and the leeks of of Egypt. Much of their time, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And they were out there in the wilderness and they were grumbling. Um, and they just weren't really enjoying the wilderness. And yet, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, that the wilderness is to remind us that there's some testing that God brings into our lives and he does that on purpose. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. It is in the times in your life when things are not going as you would have planned them that God is testing us to see what's really in us, to see whether or not we will obey him and keep his commands. Now, if you look at all of that, I want to come back to my theme, the coming of Jesus, Advent, Christmas. It didn't come for people who were living in the promised land. It didn't come for people whose lives were all wrapped up perfectly and all going so well and everything was just hunky-dory. Advent came, Christmas came, Christ came to people in the wilderness, to people who were waiting for something, hoping for something. It, It came to people who were weary and tried and tested and suffering. You remember Jesus? He can't even start his earthly ministry on a high note. He starts his earthly ministry where? In the wilderness. That's one thing. But then you get the next word. Tempted by Satan. (laughs) 
you combine those two things and just stop and think about it. Here is the Son of God charging into the world with his brand new message. And how does he start his ministry? He starts in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Wow. I want to ask you, do you see what Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw? So often we are focused on being delivered from the circumstances in our life. That we miss the fact that Christ came to those circumstances. It is to our circumstances that Christ wants to come. Not to the ideal world that you and I hope for. We can miss Christmas. We can miss Christ because we are so focused on trying to build our own little utopia of a perfect world. And we're waiting to deal with Christ until we have that perfect world and know Christ He doesn't come to that perfect world, that world that we're waiting for and hoping for. He comes to the world in which you and I live in today. That's the world Jesus chooses to come to. He doesn't come to a royal palace. He doesn't come to, you know, the most prominent of people. He comes to poor peasants, is born in a manger, introduced by a wild, woolly wilderness man. And if Christ is going to come to your life, he most likely will come in in situations and in circumstances that are not to your liking. That is when Christ wants to break in to our lives. Now, quite frankly, I and you hate the wilderness. We hate the waiting. We hate the weariness. We hate suffering. We hate trials and we hate tests and we hate all the things that life can bring our way. But it is to that world that Christ chooses to come to. And I beg you, don't miss Christ because you're still hoping for that ideal world. Find Christ in the world in which you are now living. During one of the years that Bonhoeffer was in prison during Christmas, he looked at the prison doors. This was before he went to a concentration camp. And he wrote that Advent is like a locked prison door. The door can only be unlocked from the outside. And then he says, we find our sinful souls in circumstances from which we cannot free ourselves. Only Christ can set us free. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Advent is only possible to those who wait uncomfortably. (laughs) That's kind of an odd little quote there. 
Advent is only possible to those who wait uncomfortably. In other words, I may have understated my theme today, my topic, that if we're real comfortable with our lives, Advent probably isn't coming. Christmas probably isn't coming. If everything in life is just right where we want it to be, you and I will probably miss Christ altogether. Because we're going to be so busy enjoying our little utopia that we will have no need of a Savior. Many of you knew Lisa Barkey. Her life has not been easy since she was eight years old. This next Wednesday, we will lay her to rest way too early at the age of 47. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or what they don't do and more in light of what they suffer. Lisa was one of those people that suffered quite a bit. You just didn't know it. She didn't let on. She didn't talk about it. Her disposition was positive and cheerful. Her faith was strong. I don't know why, but God didn't choose to heal her in this life. But in the midst of her circumstances, she experienced the coming of Christ. She experienced God's redeeming touch in her circumstances, in the world in which she lived. She didn't wait to do anything with Christ until she had a healthy body. She didn't wait to move forward with her faith until she felt good. She let Christ come to her life when it wasn't perfect. Richard Hendricks writes, second only to suffering. Waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer of godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality that we most that most of us will ever encounter. If Lisa had just waited to do anything with Christ until she had been healed, or if Lisa had decided that God wasn't interested in her, or that God didn't, you know, he didn't love her because her life wasn't perfect and, and all of that, Lisa would have completely missed out on Christ in this life. And she'd really be missing out today. But in the middle of her own wilderness, in her own weariness, in her own struggles, in her waiting, in her suffering, in her tests, and in her trials, she let Christ come. She invited Advent. She invited Christmas. She invited and experienced Christ. My one point today is this. If your life seems to be in the wilderness, 
you are in the exact place where Christ enters the world at. It is to our circumstances that Christ has come. He does not come to the ideal world for which we hope. That's in heaven, and he will meet us there. (laughs) But today, Christ wants to come to the world in which you live. Not to some imaginary world that you're hoping for. He wants to come to you today.